Hey y'all, I'm Elisa. I'm Samantha. Welcome to Watch for Deer. So this is our first episode on this podcast. It's so exciting. I know, I'm so excited. So just kind of bear with us. This is gonna be like super informal, just kind of like, um, I mean, obviously two best friends sitting around. Um, the way we're gonna structure this is I'm going to, every week I'm going to bring a story or an account or, or something that I'm gonna research. And then Samantha is going to sit in and I'm gonna tell her the story and she's going, it's kind of gonna be like her blonde reaction. I'm just gonna react to stuff. Yeah. That's, that's it, I'm just here for, I'm just here to react to Elisa's <laughs> stories that she finds. She's just here for moral support. <laughs> But, uh, so anyways, do you have any idea what the first episode is? I know the name of it. You sent me the name of it. I, I know the name of it, okay. but that's it. I know it's Sutter Children. Uh, Sutter Children. I don't even Virginia. know the name of it. Then. So, <laughs> so we are doing, um, the Sutter Children disappearance. Um, this happened in Fayetteville, West Virginia. So I thought it was a good place to start. Um, especially it being, you know, spooky month. I love the month of October, all things spooky. So we're going to start off with this. <clears throat> is this, this, so this is going to scare me. Um, is this going to scare no, me? No, it's not going to scare you. No, you, you should be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Are you ready? I mean, I'm as ready as I'm going to be, Elisa, <sighs> with the half the stories that you tell me. So I'm trying. I'll try I, I mean, I should, I should have got you broken in well over the past I don't know, 20 years. 20 years? Yes. Yeah, about okay. 20 years. Okay, so here we go. This is the story of the Sauter Children Disappearances from Fayetteville, West Virginia. Okay, so on Christmas Eve, December 24th of 1945, a fire destroyed the Sauter residence in Fayetteville, West Virginia. And at the time, it was occupied by George and Jenny Sauter. Um, nine of their 10 children the one, the oldest son was away. He was away at, uh, in, in the army. And I think his name was Joseph. What year did you say this was? 1945. It's been a hot minute. Okay. Like what? 78 years. Yeah. Look at there. Mental math. I, I hope you're right. Cause I just agreed to it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, um, they, so during the fire, George and Jeannie and four of their kids escaped. Um, the surviving Sauter family believed for the rest of their lives that the five missing children survived. Okay. So. What do you mean? What? What? Yes. Yes. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Nine children were in the home with Jenny and George. I feel like this is the, the start to a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> so these, so some of them got out, some of them didn't. Yep. Did they not find the bodies? Let's continue. Okay. Okay. So, um, the Sauters had never rebuilt the house. Um, instead of converting the, the, instead of rebuilding, they converted the site into like a memorial garden to the kids. George Sauter was born with the name Giorgio Sodu in uh, Sardinia, Italy in 1895. And he immigrated to the U.S. about 13 years later with an older brother who had came back home um, after they cleared customs in Ellis Island. Um, and of course, just like, you know, we Americans, we like to give all these great names, an American name. So instead of Giorgio, you know, it, it was changed to George. Um, anyways, um, 
George eventually found work on the railroads in Pennsylvania um, carrying water and other supplies to workers. After a few years, he took permanent work as a driver, and then he started his own trucking company, um, like hauling fill dirt to construction sites and, you know, like coal mine, hauling for coal mines, mm-hmm. things like that. Okay. He met Jenny Cipriani. Um, I feel she like was, you're probably butchering these names. Oh, I'm right 100% from, yes, Maybe 100%. on the front of it that's like, we don't know how to I say did say names, we're so. from Southern West Virginia, okay. so it's not like I speak Italian. Okay. Mozzarella. <laughs> <laughs> That was really good pizza, by the way. Thank you. It's very good. good She's a really good cook. Anywho, um, but he married uh, Jenny, and they settled outside nearby Fayetteville, um, and they had a large population of Italian immigrants in the little community that they um, settled in. Um, They built a big two-story house, um, probably about two miles north of town, and in 1923, they had their first of their 10 children. I mean, I guess that was common back then, but I have two, and I'm like, that's, that that's sounds plenty. Like a lot of, that's like a lot of kids. That's a, that's lot, a lot, of lot of kids. kids. That's a lot of kids. However, they were one of the most respected middle-class families around, so I guess, you know, they could afford 10 kids, so. Well, I mm-hmm. think back then, too, you had a lot of kids because they worked, they had to help run the exactly. farms and stuff. Exactly, help so, like, feed yeah. the pigs. Yeah, you know, so chickens, like you cows just gave birth to your your <clears throat> labor, your yeah. work labor. Yeah, mm-hmm. you had to keep the farm up and running. Right, and two, I mean, you had to have somebody to hand it down to because you you know come yeah. here, you settle. You had to have you know, you had to have a lawn to keep keep going. Um, <clears throat> so, um, so George had strong opinions about many subjects and was not shy about how he felt about the Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. Mm-hmm. He was, you did good on that. Yeah, he, he wasn't, he was not shy about it. He was very against Mussolini, and he had a lot of strong arguments with other members of the immigrant community. Are they in West Virginia at this time right now? Like when you're talking right now, is this happening in Fayetteville? What? What you're saying now. This is in 1923. This is this in is They're not in West Virginia yet. Yes, they are in West Virginia. Yes. And he's mad? Okay, go he's, ahead. He's still, yes. So he's, he's, he's not, ups, he's still he immigrated. Upset. He's right. still upset with what's going on in okay. his home, home country. Is there a lot of Italians going on? This there? is an okay. Italian community. Okay, yep. okay, go So ahead. they settled in this little Italian community, you know, just out, I think it's like two miles, you know, from Fayetteville. Um, and he, he was very, you know, I mean, people, religion, politics, two things you don't really talk about, right. you know, they're very headstrong in what, what they believe. So, um, he had a lot of arguments with other people in the community over, you know, Mussolini. So he probably had a lot of enemies. He probably had a lot of enemies. Lot so of he probably, like he him. probably pissed a lot of people off. So many people upset. So many people. So let's talk about Christmas Eve. Okay. Um, 1945, they celebrated Christmas Eve. So Marion was 19. She was the oldest daughter. Um, she had a job at the, um, dime store in downtown Fayetteville and she worked and she surprised her younger kids, her kid sister, kid brother with, um, new toys she bought. Mm -hmm. So they were like super excited that, you know, big sis bought some toys. So they're like, you know, they, they didn't want to go to bed. So they're like, okay, you guys can stay up and, um, you know, just so, um, 
Jenny was like, yeah, you guys can stay up. That's fine. Just, just make sure that you, you know, turn off the lights, close the curtains, you know, do your chores, make sure the chickens are fed. Um, you know, don't stay up too late. So she, uh, Jenny goes to bed and she's asleep. And at 1230 AM, she is woken up by the ringing of a telephone. Mm -hmm. So she answers the phone and she can hear a lot of like laughter and glasses clinking in the background. So, you know, like a party scene, Christmas Eve party. Okay. And there's a lady on the other end of the phone. Um, she doesn't recognize the voice and she's asking for some name that she, she doesn't recognize. And she's like, no, sorry. Okay. Wrong number. And they hang up. So as she's going back up the stairs to go to bed, she notices the light's still on. So she kind of peeks down and she sees that, that Marianne is still asleep on the bed or on the couch. Sorry. Um, sees that Marianne's still asleep on the couch. And she's like, huh? She's like, well, she figures she probably stayed up watching her, you know, younger siblings and passed out on the couch and the kids went up to the attic to bed. So she, you know, mom goes upstairs. She goes back to sleep at 1 a.m. She is awakened again by the sound of an object hitting the roof. It hits loud bang and then it sounds like it rolls off the roof. I'm telling you, that sounds like it was probably like a Molotov. Is Molotov. it Molotov? Molotov. 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 Cocktail. That's very hard to say. Is it? I don't know how I to say it. But you know, like, you know what it is. It's a bottle of glass or gas. With yeah. Like a tissue, not a tissue, but like a handkerchief or yeah, something. Yeah, like the old, that's probably what it was. And I think they used those a lot back then. Maybe not as much as what I think they do. For some reason, like when I think of the 1920s, I can think of everybody have one of those and them just throwing up everywhere. <laughs> like, you get a cocktail. You get a cocktail. <laughs> you, you make me mad and I'm just going to throw that at you. Throw this in your hay field. I think that I'm throwing <laughs> Throw this in your hay field. I'm going to burn your cow's food up. <laughs> throw it in your hay field. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So, um, <laughs> she hears that hit. She hears it roll off her roof. And, you know, she's a mom. She's tired. She's like, seriously, she's like, I ain't getting up. I ain't getting up. So she goes back to sleep. About 30 minutes later, she wakes back up and she can smell smoke. Okay. So she's smelling smoke and she gets up and she finds the room that George uses for his office was on fire. Okay. So she wakes George up and they wake up the older two sons and they're hollering, they're screaming, get out of the house. The house is on fire. So both parents, and four of their children, Marion, Sylvia, John, and George Jr., got out of the house. So the 19-year-old that was on the couch got out too? Yes. Okay. Yep. That's Marion. So they get out and they realize they're still missing five kids. Okay. Mm -hmm. So John is, you know, freaking out. He's trying to get into back into the house. So he busts the window open, cuts his arm all to pieces you know, he, he can't get, can't get back in the house. The The stairwell is already on fire. It's engulfed in flames. And he's like, okay, no big deal. He was like, I right, keep this ladder, this big 12 foot ladder beside, you know, around the back of the house. I'll go get it. I'll put it up. I'll bust her window out. I'll go in. I'll get my babies. Oh God, that's so awful. So he runs around the side of the house to get this ladder and the ladder's gone. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and not just gone, like, oh, it knocked over or, you know, whatever. It's gone. There's no trace of this ladder. So he's freaking out, trying to think. And he's like, the trucks, you know, he, he's a truck driver. He owns this trucking company. He's like, I'll move these big trucks over. He's like, I'll climb on top of the truck. I'll bust the wind out. I'm going to get my kids to safety. So he opts in the truck. He goes to start the truck and it won't start. Neither of these trucks will start after running perfectly. Okay. I the have day prior. I have questions like I'm going, I'm going to let you finish, but I'm going to write it down. So if yep. they hear pencil scratching, because like, I have a question about this. Go for so it. So you go ahead and keep talking. You keep your but... questions going. And um, so, um, so at this point, you know, Marion runs to a neighbor's house. She's, she's trying to get them to call um, the fire department. They're not getting a response. There's no operator mm -hmm. answering the phone. There was somebody drove by. They had tried to call. They cannot get the fire department on the phone. They're, they're unable to get the fire department to come help. So unfortunately, they had no other choice but to sit and watch this house go up in flames. This is like the worst story ever, Elisa. Like, like the worst story ever. Like this is like <laughs> the worst nightmare scenario in the entire world is what you brought to me in the first episode. <laughs> and you said it wasn't scary and it's terrifying. Well, it, I mean, I, when you said scary, I was thinking spooky scary. Like poltergeist scary. No, this is scary, scary. <laughs> okay. I mean, so, ghost stuff, yes, but this is super well, scary. Well, I thought you meant like paranormal scary. I mean, all scary. This all is just scary. tragic. This is tragic. And terrifying. So anyways, um, let's see. So literally this house burns down to the ground within like 45 minutes. Um, the firefighters finally get there at like 10 a.m. The house is gone. Okay. We're talking like, what is that? Like seven hours later, seven hours. They live two miles. It was Christmas Eve though. They were probably all drunk. Still though, I feel like if I was intoxicated and I was a firefighter, they hear me out. Okay. Hear okay. me out. Okay. If I'm a firefighter and this is my job mm -hmm. and I hear that there is a house on fire and I feel like I would drive the truck drunk to try and save the life. Like, I know, like, you're not supposed to drink and drive, but I feel like at this point, I it's like... I think you were allowed to back in 1923. Well, that's true. I mean, I just, I just, I just think there should have been somebody but there. But were they, did they get a, I thought they couldn't get a hold of anybody. Well, they couldn't. There was so an they operator. Didn't know. Well... Chief F.J. Morris said the next day that there was already a slow response because there was, you know, I mean, the war was going on. So they were low on manpower mm -hmm. due to the war. Yeah. And then, you know, they, it wasn't like, you know, you call 911 nowadays. There was no 911 back then. Right. So they call, you know, it's a phone tree. So I call you, you call whoever, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's, that too needs to be taken into account, you know, the phone tree. I mean, but seven did they, hours is a long time. But did they get a hold of anybody? Yeah, they finally showed up at 10 in the morning. When did they get a hold of them, though? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Keep going, because I have, I have, okay, keep going. Okay, so Morris believed that the five children were, um, that they, they had died in the fire. Um, and they found a couple bone fragments, and they said they found internal organs, they chose not to tell the family this is not a reliable 
this is just what's said. They said they found bone fragments. They said they found organs. Mm -hmm. Here's my thing. If you're finding an organ, I would think an organ would burn up before bones. It would. You know what I mean? Like, because your organs are made of water and it's going to be like, you know. Are they made of water? I mean, yeah, they got lots of water and like blood and crap. So they'd like dry up like a, like a prune, like, you know, dehydrate or whatever. I mean, I would think that, I would think that you would find, if you were going to find an organ, you would be finding all the bones. I mean, it'd be like beef jerky. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, it'd be dehydrated, like beef jerky. I don't know. I just think if there was an actual organ, there would be an actual body, not just bone fragments. So you're telling me this house got hot enough to burn five kids, a lot of bones, five kids up and you find one organ and a couple bone fragments? No. Come on. Come on. So, um, Morris told George to leave the site undisturbed so they can call in the state fire marshal uh, to conduct a thorough investigation. But after four days, George said him and Jenny could not bear the sight of you know, of the aftermath. So he bulldozed five feet of dirt over the site. Um, The local coroner convened an inquest the next day and held that the fire was an accident caused by faulty wiring. Um, The man, uh, death certificates for the five kids were issued December 30th. And the local newspaper contradicted itself saying the bodies had been found, but then the same story reported that Part of one body was recovered. So this story constantly goes back and forth with these officials saying, oh, yeah, we found this. We found that. No, we didn't find anything. So it's it's really frustrating. I mean, as a parent, that's so frustrating. So he, so he just bulldozed over and put dirt over it. Yeah. Well, now that there's DNA, could they not go to where the side of the house was and do... I mean, DNA testing? We have DNA now. I mean, we do now, but, I mean, after so many years, and you'll see here later in this case, um, actually, when they start to research it a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, they do actually find... Well, don't tell, don't, well, hold on. Something. Okay. Something. I actually have a question now, okay. though, about the truck. When you said that it wouldn't run, mm-hmm. were the wires cut? Like, was there anything in well, this about the wires being cut? So, when... And do we think this is, like, the Italian mob because he was, like, not liked? Like, what's... Okay, you just go on. Like so, I, let okay. me let me just keep going. Okay. So, but you're... You kind of... Yeah. I mean, you kind of feel like... I mean, you, you're doing exactly what George and, and Jenny was. Um, not long afterward, they tried to rebuild, but there was something nagging at them. Mm-hmm. Um, they started to question all the findings about the fire. Um, well, if it was electrical problems, you know, their Christmas lights were still on. Uh, the power should have gone out. You know, if there's a fire, it's, it's, the power's gone. The ladder, okay, that had been missing. Mm-hmm was found mm-hmm. at the bottom of an embankment 75 feet away. See, the ladder thing doesn't, doesn't like, I don't know what I'm, the words I'm trying to th- say, but 
I mean, the kids, especially boys, absolutely made that ladder. Do you know how many times me and my cousin had to use the ladder to get footballs and baseball? Yeah, that's so. So, I mean, I do. That's that's not not super freaky. Yeah, that's not. Um, That's not super freaky. However, a telephone repairman told the Sodders that the house phone line had not been burned through, as they initially thought that it had been cut. They had climbed 14 feet up the pole to cut this phone wire. Um, There was also a man um, that kind of went around the community, and he he went around the community all the time and he was, you know, what we call scrapping. We call it scrapping here in, you know, West Virginia. You mm-hmm. got these people come around your home, they haul off junk, you know, things they scrap. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So prior to this fire, there was a guy come to George's house. Hey, do you got any scrap? You know, looking for scrap. And he walks around to the fuse box, the electrical fuse box. Mm-hmm. And he looks at it and he says, Mm, these wires are going to cause a fire someday. And George is like, no, it's not. Because keep in mind, they're pretty wealthy. He owns a business. You know, they're a middle-class family. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, it's not. Because they had just purchased a new state-of-the-art for, you know, the 20s stove. So in doing that, he had the power company come and check and make sure that all the wiring was correct in the house to support, you know, the usage of this new stove. Yeah. So he'd already had this checked out. Mm-hmm. So he's like, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, you know, that's kind of raising some, uh, some red flags there. Um, so Jean, uh, Jenny had trouble accepting Morse's belief that all traces had been burned completely in the fire. And two, a lot of the household appliances were found. They were still, rec- I mean, they were burnt, but they were still recognized, you know, oh, it's a toaster, you know, whatever. Yeah. Whatever they found. You could still rec- recognize that that's what it was. Um, they found bits and pieces of the tin roof and everything. So, old mom, you know how we old moms are. We, you know, you mess with our babies and, and we get on a tangent and we start thinking and, you know, turning stuff over our, in our minds. She's, she's thinking and she's recounting she had read a newspaper of a similar house fire around the same time that killed a fam- another family of seven. Skeletal remains of all the victims were, were found in that house fire. So she's like, you know, she'll, this don't make sense to me. So being the badass mom she is, she goes and she gets like animal bones and she starts experimenting by burning these bones. To see what it would look like, yeah, if it would happen, if if that's what had happened. Well, she's probably holding out hope that her children are still right alive. Exactly. Um. Two, she even went as far as to ask, ask, is she gonna ask them? <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> she ain't asking nobody. <laughs> she, <laughs> so, um, she asked the low. What? I can't say that word. Why am I having a stroke? No. Have you been drinking? So she goes, talks to this guy at the local crematorium. And she talks to him and, you know, about bones when they, you know, cremate a body. Those bodies burn at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. And that's 
they burn longer and and hotter than a house fire does you know and still even after that there's mm-hmm. still pieces of bone left there's still pieces of bone left even when you cremate a body there's still pieces of okay. bone okay so he agrees that that's that's not plausible you know for for these kids so the truck failure that you asked about yes that's also considered george george is thinking about this he thinks it was tampered with potentially maybe by the same man that had come by looking at the but why does he think it was tampered with was wires cut or something like what was going I on i mean it doesn't really say that he i mean you would think he would look at the wiring see if the wiring harness you know but an, another logical explanation is that in his haste to move the truck Mm -hmm. and you know trying to start it vigorously over and over it's very possible that he could have flooded you know flooded if if flooded out i feel like i need to know more like about vehicles and stuff back then what year did you say this was 23 well i mean 45 i'm sorry the fire was in 1945 1945 okay so never mind never mind i i mean i don't know about vehicles back then but i also know that what i was getting ready to say is not correct. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. In 23, I think it would have been. You know, like they had to crank yeah. the front of the cars. You know what I'm talking about? I do. Okay. Yeah. But I don't the know. The little hand cranks. I don't these, know These anything. were gasoline. So, I mean. Weren't they back then? The hand, the crank cars gasoline? I mean, way back then. But these were. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're talking about the ones in here. Front. Yeah, they put that little thing in the yeah, front of it. Yeah, they put it and then they crank it up. Yeah, I know that wasn't a thing in 45. Right. But I wasn't for sure. Like, I was thinking this was 1923. Continue. Right, Continue. right, right, right. All right. So, evidence soon emerged indicating the fire had not started due to electrical fault, but they think it was set deliberately. So, the driver of a bus actually passed through Fateville late Christmas Eve and said he's seen people throwing balls of fire at the house. See, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. A few months later, when the snow had melted, Sylvia, who's the youngest child, one of the younger child's child, Child- children, children. Good God. <laughs> one of the younger child. We'll switch roles. <laughs> found a small, hard, dark green rubber ball-like object in the brush. And George recalled that, you know, Jenny had heard that thump and then that roll mm-hmm. um, on the roof. And they got looking and they said that it looked like a pineapple bomb or a hand grenade, um, you know, that they used to make. So it very well could have been some sort of homemade device, like a Molotov cocktail. Um, and also, contrary to what the fire marshal concluded, you know, he said that it started that electrical wiring box, mm-hmm. which we know is bullshit mm-hmm. because the lights were still on. They actually find out the fire had started on the roof. So, but there, there was no way, you know, I mean, wh- what is he going to do? He's, he, you know, the officials are going against him saying, no, this was faulty wiring fault he knows it's not faulty wiring yeah you know because he had it checked so um a few witnesses had actually claimed to see the missing children um a woman who had been watching the fire from the road said she's seen some of them peering out a passing car while the house was burning oh my god another woman at a rest stop between fateville and charleston west virginia said she'd served them breakfast the next morning 
and noted the presence of a car with Florida license plates on the vehicle in that parking lot. So the Sauters hired a private investigator named Cece Tinsley from the nearby town of Gauley Bridge to look into this case because obviously they're not getting anywhere with Fayetteville PD. Um, so Tinsley informed the family that the insurance salesman, there was an insurance salesman. So let me, let me go back. There was an insurance salesman. So George worked, you know, initially before he had his trucking company, he worked with this, this guy. Mm-hmm. And he, so come to find it out, he had taken out a policy on the home, the solder home, his business partner. George's business partner, partner, partner. took a, took insurance yep. out on George's on, home? On George's home. Can you do that? Apparently you could back in 1920s, 30s. So he took this out. And also I read somewhere too that prior to the fire that his business partner had also tried to up, number one, up the insurance on the home and convinced George to sign life insurance policies. Here's the thing. George had to be a a smart man to build this company. Absolutely. I think so. And if he let his friend do that and he thought, oh, okay, I'm just going to let him take out an extra insurance policy and life insurance on me and my family, that is something that a dumb person would do. Yeah. that absolutely so maybe you know one of the things we say here and anybody from around this region that would listen to this would know what i'm getting ready to say it sounds like he was book smart and had no common sense whatsoever well i mean that's possible because you do see that a lot people's like super intelligent did that insurance thing that's motive but it still doesn't make sense to where the kids are at unless the kids i mean who knows what happened back then maybe he maybe uh he um, not sold them, but adopted, you know, like how old were the kids that were missing? How old were they? Well, they had kids from the age of two yeah. all the way up to, I think their boy in the army was like 21. Were it, was it the little kids though that were missing or was it like? They actually, so actually there was, it was a good mix. So there were some smaller age kids, fives and six. There was, um. 14, and then I'm wanting to say 17. Well, this whole story is just, I just don't like it. It's bonkers. It's just awful. It's just an awful, sad thing. And now I'm thinking that his best friend did it. And this is the first story that you brought to me. And now I'm scared of you. So (laughs) why are you scared of me? Well, because (laughs) best friends aren't supposed to do that. And now I'm afraid of you. So I'm going to need you to leave. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. You put your tennis shoes on and just get out of my house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> bye get bye just your get uber's out. here just get out <laughs> there's no uber <laughs> not out in the holler <laughs> you walking home <laughs> so anywho he um so tinsley tells them that this you know this insurance salesman who had had you know come he'd come with his business partner try and get him to sign that extra contract and george is like no i'm not signing that so the guy's the guy gets pissed off, and because George again George is anti-fascist, he's he's against Mussolini, and he's in a heavily Italian community, mm-hmm. and so these guys are like, mm-hmm. you know what? Mm-hmm. He was like, and I read a quote somewhere, and it, he basically told George, he's like, you and your 
beep, kids, he was like, are all going down. So he, he I mean, he made a verbal threat. There was, you yeah. know, people that, that heard this guy make a verbal threat. Um, so um, the guy that had made this threat, he was actually on the coroner's jury that ruled the fire an accident. Bum, bum, bum. I don't like that. Oh, no, oh, right. yeah. Sound effects. Yeah, yeah, That's so cool. Effect. Little sound effect. So he was, okay, keep going. So he also learned rumors around Fateville. He said that um, no remains had been found in the ashes, but Morris, so C.F. Morris, who was the fire marshal at the time, mm-hmm. had found a heart, which we discussed we, earlier. We've already no, discussed I that. Know. I mean, But I'm... he said that he found a heart, and he placed that in a metal box and buried it on the home site. Right? Right? What? Right? What? Morris had apparently confessed this to a local minister who in turn confirmed it to George. George and Tinsley, Tinsley, you know, the the private CI, they went to Morris and confronted him and he he agreed to show them where he buried the metal box. So they dig it up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. They took what they found inside to a local funeral director. Who examined this and discovered that this was a fresh beef liver that was never exposed to the fire. I really feel like if DNA was was a thing back then that we would have so many more answers than what we do now. True that. Um, so more rumors circulated around Fayetteville that Morris had afterwards. He, he admitted with the box that he put the liver in there. Um, oh, hold on. So he he admitted the fire marshal admitted that he bought did that. a beef liver, put it in the box and buried it. Why would he do that? Because he was hoping that the solders would be digging in their memorial area. Yeah, find the box, open it. I don't know how dumb. I mean, have you ever seen? You know what a liver, chicken liver. You know what a liver is. Yeah. You know what a heart looks like. Yeah, doesn't look anything alike. No. At all. Right? Yeah. This so he was hoping crazy. that they would open up the box, they'd find the organ, and be like, oh, yeah, our kids are dead. What? I, I'm just telling you. I know. It's crazy. This story is bonkers. I don't even know. I mean, I really don't even know what to say. Like, it's the story's all over the place. And I really, I just really feel for these parents. It's really, okay. It is super, super How sad. much more like of this, because I have other questions too about like, is there, is there a lot more to it? Um, is there anybody, the kids, it was 1945. If you have a baby, right? If you have a baby in 1945, they could be like old right now. Where are they at? Where are they at? Just hang okay. on, to, hang on to your horses. I can't see you shaking your head. I can't hang on can't. to your horses. Okay. You're you're putting what is it? The cart ahead of the horse. As in the life, yes. Yes. Okay. Slow okay. your roll. Okay. Slow your roll. Okay, I'm waiting. Okay. So in August of 1949, George was able to persuade Oscar Hunter, who was a Washington D.C. pathologist, to supervise a new search in the dirt. At the house site. Okay. Okay, we'd be getting somewhere. You ready? Mm -hmm. After a very thorough search, artifacts, including a dictionary that had belonged to the children, Mm -hmm. and some coins were found. However, several small bone fragments were unearthed. 
determined to have been human vertebrae. See. The bone fragments were sent to Marshall T. Newman, who was a specialist at the Smithsonian Institution. Mm-hmm. They were confirmed to be lumbar vertebrae, oh. and it was all from the same person. Mm. Quote, he said, since the transverse recesses are fused, meaning the bones are fused, the age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years. That's so sad. The top limit of age should be about 22, since the centra, which normally fuses at 23, are still unfused. Mm -hmm. Thus, given this age range, it was not very likely that these bones were from any of the five missing children as the oldest, Maurice, was only 14 at the time. But he, okay. Newman also said Mm -hmm. that those bones showed zero sign of exposure to fire. Well, that could have been before they even, maybe even built a house on the land, right? It could have been before. George also took dirt from another place and filled in their basement. Okay. So so now we have another missing person. We have person another body. That we don't know. That we don't know where it came And their spinal cord is now on George's <laughs> So, yeah. I mean. So, um, Newman agreed that it was very strange that these bones were the only ones that they had found since a wood fire of such short duration should have left full skeletons of all the children behind. So the children so are 45 just, minute, just Somebody's taking 45 them. minute Somebody's fire. Taking them. Somebody's, somebody's taking, taking the them. kids. Um, it's Mussolini. Mussolini. I mean, I feel like it's like, I mean, like he's had something done. Like he's had something done. It's awful. It's awful. It is awful. It is awful. So, um, with the end of official reports or official efforts to resolve the case, the Sauter family did not give up hope. They printed flyers with the kids' pictures. They offered a $5,000 reward, which they soon doubled. And that was a lot of money back then. That's a lot I mean, of money that's, right that's now. That's a lot of money right now. I mean, that might buy groceries for like two months. But anyways, <laughs> you get your cheese. We already talked. Listen, we said we weren't going to talk about religion and politics. So don't Well, you. I'm talking about cheese. Okay. I said cheese. I'm just saying I'm talking about the price of groceries. Well, okay. okay. Anywho. Go ahead. On, people know, people on, know. on, on. So um, in 1952, they put up a billboard at the site of the house and another one along U.S. Route 60 near Anstead with the same information and it actually is a landmark for traffic driving through Fayetteville um on route 16. oh well it, today it's route 16 but it, it was route there. 19. we do we should we should go road trip we not should on a road trip in a long time we i mean we could that's a day trip for us 100 percent. we need to go okay we should go up there. we need we need to go find the solder house i don't know Ma- if I we need to go in solder house i just no, want to go into an area we need to go investigate i'm not investigating lisa, <laughs> lisa <laughs> okay i don't even like talking about this stuff in the in my, the privacy of my home and the comfort of my home <laughs> with all of the stuff i have to protect me i don't even like to talk about this you kind this of thing bad juju I don't, I don't think it's bringing bad juju, but it just makes me feel uncomfortable. And But I would like to go see the area. Yeah, we but would. But I'm not about to walk up on that land. Like, that is not a thing that I'm going to do. Why? 
but now I'll drop you off and I will go to a Wendy's. No, you got to get, go with I'll get me. A Wendy's burger I'll buy you a I'll, coffee. I will come back and I'll pick We can you get up. coffee. You have to go with me. I'm not getting out of that. There's probably people still living. Look, just I just want to know if there's kids alive now. <laughs> like I just want to know if there's kids alive now. So the family also had another reported sighting of the children um, after the fire. As a mom, as a mom, I cannot, I can't imagine what these two parents went through if they didn't have anything to do with it. I always suspect people, so that's well, just me. But people suck. Like I can't, like I can't imagine. I mean, we can sit here and talk about it and stuff. Like we, you know, we always talk about stuff, but. This, I mean, this really happened. Like, this isn't oh, yeah. just a story. This is like, an this is actual. A, this really happened, yes. and it's. It's an actual. And, yeah, and for, to have sightings and all this stuff and not have the technology that we have today, which it still happens all the time, but that's. It's terrible. That's, it's, it's more than terrible. I don't think there's a word for it, but. Could you imagine? Like, I just can't imagine. Mm -mm. I just can't imagine. Mm -mm. But Ida Crutchfield, a woman who ran a Charleston hotel, claimed to have seen the children approximately a week after. So this is Charleston, West Virginia. She says she can't remember the exact date, she said, but uh, the children had come in, you know, with two men and two women around midnight. Um, all appeared to be of Italian you know, descent. I mean, if some of these kids were older that, you know, or that if they're missing, let's say that they didn't die and they're actually missing, why wouldn't they have said something? Said something. Right. right. Especially if some, I mean, if some of them are older kids, like, I, I don't know, like, I don't know, or le well, left she a note said, or, or something. When she attempted to speak to the kids, one of the men looked at her in a hostile manner and turned around and talked rapidly in Italian. So I'm pretty sure he was probably scolding the kill you know you, you know if you talk to her i'll kill you, you know yeah who, who's to say that they weren't threatened you know or they weren't oh, using sure his they were taking you know they, they were, were probably using um you know if th if this was them they were probably using you know if you if you mention anything I'm, we're going to kill your mom and dad or you know mm -hmm. so they were probably just terrified oh, you brought me the worst story in the world <laughs> she's not i mean it's just so sad there's a picture on your paper now who's that, <laughs> who's that? so um, after that encounter, she said that they woke up and they left early the next morning. She didn't see him again. Okay. So did she feel off? Like at that moment, she felt a little off and she didn't call anybody, right? So, 100%. So that's on her. That's 100%. On she well, said it was a very strange reaction. She, and she said, said something a week she later. She said it was very off-putting that she was just like, mm, no. Okay. Well, good for you, lady. Good for you. So George followed up on all these leads himself. Mm -hmm. Daddy George, you know, you're as a parent, you would do anything, anything to get your children back. Mm -hmm. So he, he, you know, he's doing the damn thing. He is following up, you know, all these leads. Um, there was also a woman from St. Louis, Missouri claimed that Martha, who was one of the children, was being held in a convent. Oh my Lord. There was also a bar patron in Texas claimed to have overheard two other people making incriminating statements about a fire that happened on Christmas Eve in West Virginia some years before. However, none of those sightings proved significant when he, you know, tried to investigate these. Um, so in 1967, George went to Houston to investigate another tip. A woman there had written to them, to the family, to George and, and Jenny, saying that 
Louis, Louis, Louis had re, um, revealed his true identity to her one night after having too much to drink. And this is 22 years after, right? Yep. Yep. This is in 67. After, and then dad, who is probably obviously maybe, an, he's an old man now. Yep. And he's, okay. So she, um, he, so she's saying she was set and chatting with Louie, who mm-hmm. was one of the older boys at mm-hmm. the time, um, and said that he revealed who he was to her one night after having too much to drink. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. She believed that he and uh, Maurice were both living in Texas. However, George and um, his son-in-law, Grover, were unable to speak with her. So... They denied about it being missing sons. He said years later um, that the denial lingered in his mind for the rest of his life, that they wouldn't talk to him. So they also received another letter uh, that same year in 1967. Um, they This is what they think was the most credible evidence that they've ever gotten okay. on regarding their kids. Mm-hmm. And they really strongly believe that Louie was still alive. She, so Jenny walks to the mailbox. She finds a letter um, in, in the mailbox, and it was postmarked in Central City, Kentucky, with no return address. Inside was this picture of a young man who's about 30 with features that strongly resemble Louie's. He would have been in his 30s if he would have survived. Mm-hmm. On the back... Guess what was written? I don't know, but I just got cold chills everywhere. Is it something like mom or something like, am I going to start crying? Louis Sauter. I love brother Frankie. L-L-I-L boys. A90132 or 35. So, the family hired another private detective to, to, to go to Kentucky and look into the miss it, into this letter, this, you know, and see. However, he never reported back to the Sodders, and they were never able to locate this if, PI again. If he was alive, why would he have not, you know what, though? They may have turned him against their parents. Ah, very true. So the picture nonetheless gave them hope, and they added that picture, which is this picture. Oh, and, and I'll put this on our Instagram I'll, after, you know, when we post this uh, episode. I'll put, the, I'll put these pictures on Instagram. Um, so you guys can see, but it's got a, a picture. And you, when you see the little boy, Louie, mm-hmm. his little boy picture, and you see that picture, they're very strong resemblances. Very, very strong. Has anybody ever done a, a picture of the kids when they were little and what they, well, I mean, not like the around, AI, like, yeah, that, like the age? Mm-hmm. No, and at this time, I think the last thing that I read, the only living child is Sylvia, who was the, the two-year-old at the time. So she'd be 70. So she's alive now? Five-ish. So she's alive now, though. Like, she's alive. Yeah. Is she, like, was she in Fayetteville? Do we know? Hold okay. your horses. Well, I'm Jiminy I just Christmas. Want all the at one time. I want everything at one time. <sighs> Just dump all the information out in front of me and just let me have it, everything. (laughs) So, George admitted to the Charleston Gazette that the lack of information had been like hitting a rock wall and we cannot go any further. So, he vowed to continue, um, you know, continue his search and, and researching all of these leads. 
He said, time is running out for us, but we only want to know. If they did die in a fire, we want to be convinced. I just don't know why they can't go to the site now and and do the DNA thing. Like, pull a... a you know, Here's even why. If it was, oh, George okay. Sauter died in 1969. I'm, not, I'm talking about just like people Sylvia? Who, I'm, is it still... It's an unsolved case, I mean, right? I'm, it's still unsolved to this so day. So why yes. can they not do... So, I mean... I don't know. You would think that... I mean, you would think that they would take, you know, all the state... Of art, I mean, what is it that goes in the ground? The not ultrasound. What is it that they send? I have no idea. The reason what you're talking about. You can go over the ground and it. You can look at stuff under the ground. I, for the life of me, sonar, sonar. Thank you. Yes. Why can they not go looking sonar? You know, and, and see. But if it's fragments, it wouldn't be. No, that's true. I would I think know. they could just, just dig the dirt up and, like, go through it and do something and look through it and see, like, pieces of bone or something. I don't know. And then if that lady's alive, they can see if it's a match. Well, that's true. I don't know. It's weird. You couldn't think of sonar? I couldn't think. I, well, I was wanting to say, like, x-ray for some reason. Like, x-ray of the ground, which is kind of the same thing. It's not. It, well, kind of. I don't feel like it is. <sighs> um... So George died in 1969. Jenny and her surviving children, except John, who never talked about the night of the fire, wonder why, Wait, says why that the family he? should accept what happened oh. and moved on okay, with their lives, okay. continuing to seek answers to the questions about the missing children's fate. After George's death, Jenny stayed in the family home. You know, they rebuilt the side of it. Uh, she put up a fence around it, added additional rooms, and for the rest of her life since the accident, this mother, this mourning mother, only wore black and spent her life tending to the little garden at the side of the burnt home. She wore black for the rest of her life. For the rest of her life. For the rest of her life. After her death in 1989, they finally took the weathered, worn billboard down. The what? The weathered, worn billboard down. Oh, the billboard okay. that, the, oh, the that billboard. they had put up. The billboard. Yep. Okay. Okay. So um, <clears throat> their surviving solder children, joined by their own children, so at this point we've got grandkids of George and, and Jenny, continued oh, to publicize the case and investigate leads. Mm -hmm. They, along with older Fayetteville residents, have theorized that the Sicilian Mafia was trying to extort money from George, and the children may have been taken by someone who knew about the planned arson and said that they would be safe if they left the house. They were possibly taken back to Italy if the children had survived all those years and were aware their parents and siblings survived too. The family believes they may have avoided contact in order to keep them from harm. So this goes back to what we were talking about, about like why these kids, these kids were old enough to talk, obviously. Why at the restaurant or at the hotel, why didn't they say, hey, think, we've been stolen? I don't think that they're alive. I really don't think that they're alive. I, I think that they died in the fire because there was way too many. How many were they? Four or five? Kids? There were five, five kids missing. Yep. Okay. Uh, out of five kids, I think that, you know, that if they had made it, if they had made it to adulthood. Now, if they were taken and then they didn't live very long. That's another story. Right. But if they were taken and made it to adulthood and didn't say anything, I just don't see that happening. I yeah. just don't see that. 
So what's your theory on this? I just told you my theory. On I mean, this so you think, so here's my theory. Okay. I do not think these kids died in that fire. Oh, I think they did. I, 100% they did not. A thousand percent they did. Let me tell you. Okay. You got five bodies in a house fire. This house right. fire burnt mm -hmm. to the ground yes. 45 minutes. Yes. Five bodies. Mm -hmm. Fire coming from the roof. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And no, nothing, nothing, no screams. They never heard screams. You got five kids in the house. They wake up and they're screaming. They may not have woken up. <clears throat> Listen, if, if they had, no, I don't think, I think that they died in those fires. I think they were asleep. I think. I, I think, mean, they could have died due to smoke inhalation. Yes. Absolutely. However, mm -hmm. five bodies burning flesh burning, mm -hmm. you would have freaking smelled that. You I would have know. smelled I that, know. Samantha. I don't, know. I don't know anything about a fire. I, I feel like I'm not even Have you not ever smelled like on this. burnt animals and stuff? Like no, burnt, why would you oh my have? God. have? It's like burnt. Why have you smelled? That's another story. <laughs> burnt animals. It's another story. You. What are you? <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? What are you? You would have smelled it. You always read about, you know, you always read about these house fires and they're talking about the smell of burnt. Like it's not, it's, it's a Never. smell. Listen, Never. Google it. It is a smell that is really distinguishable. Right. And five bodies in a house, burnt flesh, burnt hair. You, I know you've smelled burnt hair before. But you're thinking, okay, if you're just, I have, it I have had some cooking accidents and I have smelled burnt hair before. So, and it is very, it's very strong, but you have to think about all the other smells. If we're just going on the smell thing here, you have to think about everything in that house that would smell. Why are we on smell? Alisa? I just, I just, five bodies burnt, no screams, no smell. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't think, I just, I really think I, so here's what happened. Okay. Hear me out. Okay. George and Jenny goes up or Jenny goes upstairs mm -hmm. to go to bed. Mm -hmm. Marion falls asleep on the couch. Yeah. These kids go outside getting ready to go to bed. They're going to feed mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. the, the farm animals. Mm -hmm. They get kidnapped. Okay. Gone. Okay. So what if the kids when they went out there ran into the people who were going to come in to burn the house? Exactly. So that's plausible. I'm saying that's plausible. Uh-huh. But then I believe that they uh, maybe done something terrible then and maybe took, took them because I just don't see five children growing up to be adults confessing. And you know that we hear this all the time. People confess to crap that they didn't do or I'm this mm -hmm. person. And I mean, there's 15 Elvises right now in the United States that says they're yep. Elvis. So yep. I just don't see that. I just don't see them not telling, not saying, hey. I'm so-and-so. Right. And I'm then a that one kid. picture, even though he looks like it, there's everybody has a doppelganger. True. You know, and if those people were still uh, wealthy, if George and Jeannie were still wealthy, he may have wanted some money and then maybe got a conscious about him. That's true. I just, I don't know. I just, five bodies is a lot to not find any bone fragments. But it's 1945. They had nothing. No, man. It's. Bones, like human bones, they're big. They're what, two hundred and five 
205 bones in a body. I have no idea. I think it's like 205 bones in a body. I feel like you're probably maybe wrong about that, Elisa. Now we're Google. Sound- Google. I swear it's like 201, 205 bones in the human body. I mean, that sounds right. Google. I'm Googling how. So times that by five. That's a lot of bones. You can't tell me they didn't find any bones. Those kids did not burn. Those okay. kids did not. So Google says that there are 206. So you're wrong. And now you sound. Well, silly. I was still close. You sound silly. Really close. You sound 206. Silly. You sound silly. Like, you went off. <laughs> so, anyways, you guys tell us what you think. You know, comment. Go. Um, you know, you can e- email us at watchfordeerpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at watchfordeerpodcast. Go like and follow the Facebook page, Watch for Deer Podcast. Um, go go comment, go check us out. Go like, follow, subscribe. Um, let us know what you think happened to the Solder Kids. And if you guys have another suggestion for our next episode, please let us know. And we really uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you on episode number two, and watch watch for for deer. deer.